seated. Well, I tell you what, it's uh, not where we've been on Sunday night as far as attendance goes, but we've got about twice as many people as we did last week when we were in the middle of the second flood and uh, only a few people could, could uh, get here. But uh, grateful uh, that you all could be here this evening and as we continue our study on um, the pursuit of a biblically healthy church. And uh, even though we were few in number last week, we still went ahead and we talked about um, the biblical um, understanding of church membership. And, uh, and uh, actually it was last Sunday evening at the conclusion of that service that Judy, who came forward this morning, came forward and said she wanted to join the church. So she had come forward and we filled out her paperwork last week, but we introduced her this morning um, in the service. And, and uh, it's, you know, it's, it's pretty nice when you, when you preach on membership and you have uh, eight of your members and one guest and the one guest joins the church. So that's a, uh, uh, it's a beautiful thing. God can work in small numbers too, amen? And uh, so we're real, very grateful for that and uh, grateful for this study. And, and honestly, when it, when it comes to church discipline, there is a lot of ground to cover. And uh, so we're going we're gonna to hustle through this, but if you have questions along the way, feel free to stop and we'll, and we'll, discuss, um, we'll discuss those as we go. Um, but just starting off with, well, I'm going I'm to go ahead and open your Bibles um, tonight to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Um, and then if you want to put a, uh, a finger in Matthew chapter 18, those are the two primary texts we'll be examining. I'll be referencing some others in there. And, um, but those are the ones we're going to be looking at. So... Um, but first, you know, I think we have to, I think when you mention church discipline, I think for people that have been in church for a long time, they kind of have an understanding of what that is. Um, it is, uh, church discipline is, is the act by which a, a member is excluded from fellowship and from participating in the Lord's Supper because of some unrepentant sin in their life. And, uh, just pretty straightforward. It is, it is a means of accountability given to the church to protect the reputation of the church in order that we might maintain our witness in the community. The, uh, it's kind of a double-edged sword, though, when you begin to put reason into it and listen to people's objections for why you shouldn't do it, and, and uh, church discipline can seem to be judgmental, it seems to be unloving, it seems to be this, it seems to be that, but ultimately, the main question is, is church discipline biblical? And if it is biblical, then what choice do we have but to pursue it in a biblical manner? But as, uh, as we look at referring back to Mark Dever's uh, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church and his uh, What is a Healthy Church book, he says there that discipline, he says following directly out of a biblical understanding of church membership is biblical church discipline. Membership draws a boundary line around the church, marking the church off from the world. Discipline helps the church that lives inside of that boundary line, helps the church live inside of that boundary line, tr true to the very things that are cause for drawing the line in the first place. So in essence, accountability in the church is necessary in order to keep the church pure, as pure as we can keep it, right? Because it's because we have that responsibility of accountability. But as I said, there are those objections that people raise. They'll say, well, you know, it's unloving. 
you know, to exercise discipline. It's unloving to call people out on their sin and to exclude them from, um, from membership and from those things. Well, first of all, we have to understand that um, discipline as it's carried out to its fullest extent isn't something that just happens in, a, in, a, in an instant, um, typically. It, there's a process that we go to, and the process is meant always to bring restoration. Even when you think about it, even exclusion, and this is something we're going to look at here in a little while, even exclusion from the membership is meant to bring about repentance and restoration ultimately. That's why we exercise it. That's the example that we're given in Scripture. And so because we recognize the seriousness of sin, we would have to say that to not practice biblical church discipline would be more unloving than to practice it. Because we understand the seriousness of sin. We understand the seriousness, as we talked about this morning, the severity of even God's discipline. And so, because we love our brothers and sisters in Christ, we want to hold them accountable that they might continue to walk in the way and might continue to honor the Lord Jesus Christ and prevent them from bringing a bringing disrepute on their own name as well as on the name of the church. And so this is, these are some of the reasons for um, discipline. As I said, you know, some will argue, well, it's, judge, it's judgmental, and the Bible tells us not to judge. Well, certainly there are texts in Scripture that speak to us about not judging, but, if those, but in those contexts, they do not preclude accountability within the body of Christ because there are far too many other passages in Scripture that tell us that we must hold one another accountable. And so while if, if, if biblical discipline is commanded, but we're not allowed to judge, then we are kind of a walking contradiction. And uh, so whatever those passages on not judging may mean, they do not mean that we're not responsible to hold one another accountable. And we can get into a whole discussion on what those passages do mean, and uh, maybe we will at some point, but but for tonight, we have to understand that the Bible tells us that there, are, there is a necessity for the church to make certain kinds of judgments. And uh, we'll get into this in more depth in a little while, but in 1 Corinthians 5 is just one example. As we look at 1 Corinthians 5 and, and, uh, and you look at what Paul's writing to the church there, and uh, beginning in, in verse number 11, he says, Actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person. Or, a covet, or covetous, or an idolater, or a reviler, or a drunkard, or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Now, how, how can we exclude somebody from fellowship in this case without making judgments about their character, right? You have to make a judgment about their character to say that these things are true in order to carry out discipline, right? It requires judgment. Uh, he goes on in, in verse number 12. He says there, For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? That is, Paul's telling us that that's a rhetorical question in which he expects a positive answer, that yes, we, we should be judging those that are inside the church. We, it's our responsibility to do that. Um, this is, it shows an expectation of accountability, a fact highlighted by Jesus' instruction in Matthew 18, which we're going to be looking at here in just a moment. And then if you go on into chapter 6 and verse 2, Paul also says this. 
He says, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? If the world is judged by you, are you not competent to constitute the smallest law courts? That is, we have the responsibility of holding one another accountable and of dealing with situations among the membership in order to continue to honor Christ. And so judgments are necessary. And God himself is a judge. Now, we cannot judge with the judgment God judges with. That is not our place. That is not our responsibility. And in those places where Christ deals about judgment, that's more what he's talking about. He's talking about condemnation. He's talking about pronouncing a judgment that condemns somebody to an, to an eternity away from him. That's not our place. Only God can do that. But our place is to, within the body of Christ, and, and when you read this context in 1 Corinthians 5 and 6, what you see is that, that Paul is, is encouraging the church. He's, he's, he says, I'm not referring to those that are outside the church. We're not to run around, you know, condemn people that are outside the church because that's God's place. You know, we're to share the truth with them. He says, but inside the church, when people are acting like people outside the church, then we have a responsibility to hold them accountable. He says, people outside, the, here's the thing, I think sometimes, and this is where the church gets a bad reputation, because we have a tendency to be harsh with those that are outside the church. But guess what? Lost people are going to act like lost people. You can't expect them to act any differently. They don't know any better. They haven't been changed. They haven't been given a heart for the Lord or for the things of the Word. They haven't been given that perspective that, that seeks to do righteous things for the glory of God. And so we can't expect that people are going to conform to the Word of God when they haven't been changed by the Spirit of God. And so that, that, when we talk about the realm of accountability, we're not talking about holding the world accountable. That's God's responsibility. But our accountability is to protect the reputation of his bride, the church, and to continue to um, hold one another accountable. Yes, Walter. Yes. Right. Yeah. And it does. And sometimes the practical outworkings in obedience to Scripture do get difficult because of a various the various contexts in which we try to apply it. And uh, but just because something's difficult doesn't mean it's not necessary. And so I think, I think in that case, if you know a brother or sister and they're a member of another church, I still think that we have a responsibility as far as what we're going to see here in Matthew 18. We still have a responsibility to go to them and, and to talk to them. Now, we can't, obviously, you know, we can't preclude them from fellowship in our church, right? But, but possibly, I think, as you go up the ladder in that accountability thing, if they're a member of another church, that instead of involving more people from your church in the process, maybe what you do is when you start involving people, you involve people from their church to help hold them accountable because they belong to a fellowship to which they are accountable. And so that's, that's how I would say that we would, we would carry that out. We I think we still have a responsibility to any professing believer in Christ. We have a responsibility to hold them accountable. If we have a relationship with them, then we have a responsibility to hold them accountable. Now, Obviously, that's not everybody you come across 
just because you think, you know, you may know something about them. I mean, our job is not to be, we're not to police people's behavior. We're not out there looking for people to mess up so that we can bring an accusation about them, so that we can spread rumors about them, so that we can, you know, we're not trying to find something wrong with people. But when we know of somebody that's in sin, then we have a responsibility and an obligation to go to them. That's, you go to Galatians um, chapter, I think it's Galatians chapter 6. And uh, in Galatians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul, um, in that letter, he's, he says there, beginning in verse 1, he says, Brethren, if, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. And I don't think that there's any uh, restrictions on that. It's just we're looking at our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so if we become aware of something, then we have that obligation um, to do that. Like I said, the, the outworking of that can get messy. Um, a lot of times the Christian life can be messy. It's not just neat and clean and easy. Um, it can be difficult. And so we have to, but we seek to apply that in those circumstances. So we've, we've noticed that there are, there are obviously biblical parameters for church discipline. So the only reason to not exercise, and I'm going to say biblical church discipline, because when we say church discipline, it can be done poorly. It has been done poorly in some cases. But when we exercise biblical church discipline, the only reason to not do it would be to prove that it was unbiblical, which we can't. The, the instances in which we might think, like the instance of not judging, we've already shown that, obviously, that does not preclude this area of accountability. And so, like I said, we're not looking for flaws, but we are seeking to, we're seeking to protect the reputation of believers, recognizing that by protecting their reputation... We're protecting the reputation of Christ. And that's really, I mean, that should be our motivation. We're trying to, because everybody who professes the name of Christ is his representative. And if they've fallen in sin, it's important that we go to them and, and talk to them about it and help them to, to recognize what they're doing is bringing a reproach on the name of Christ. Because you don't want them to fall into disrepute. And you don't want the name of Christ to fall into disrepute. And that's, that's the object. So the object is always restoration to fellowship. The object is always protection of the reputation of Christ and his bride and the members of his bride. Excuse me. So we have to understand, obviously, um, it is biblical, but we want to understand that foundation as well as the intent for it. And we've, we've been talking about that already with, uh, with the question here, but let's, let's consider um, a little bit uh, something else that Mark Dever says in his book. Um, when you go back, even looking at the whole of creation, and you look that God created everything for his own glory, right? I mean, the whole of creation is meant to glorify God. The, the um, excuse me, the, the heavens declare, thank you, the heavens declare the glory of God. Nobody said it, but it came, popped in my head. Thank you, Spirit. Um, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies proclaim his handiwork, right? Creation itself declares the glory of God. Humanity was created to declare God's glory in a unique way as we were created as image bearers of God. But when humanity sinned against God, we kind of messed up being image bearers, right? Because we did what God wouldn't do. And, and so 
And then what happened? Adam and Eve were excluded from the garden. The garden was this place of perfect fellowship with God. When they messed up, they were excluded from that fellowship. When you go later on, the people of Israel were called in a special way to represent the glory of God to the nations. They were brought into the promised land. They were given the law in order to show them how they were to behave and, and how they were to reflect that glory. And, and uh, Dever points out in his book, he says, um, God called Israel to display his glory, particularly by displaying his holiness and character to the nations as they were revealed in the law. Along the way, this law was the basis for correcting and even excluding some people from the community, as in Numbers 15, 30 through 31. And in that passage, it reads, The person who does anything defiantly, whether he is native or an alien, that one is blaspheming the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from among his people, because he has despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment, that person shall be completely cut off. His guilt will be on him. And so we see it in creation. We see it with the nation of Israel. And we also see it in the church. When God created the church, he did it so the church might reflect his character to the world. And Dever says, in keeping with the storyline of the entire Bible then, church discipline is the act of excluding an individual who carelessly brings disrepute onto the gospel and shows no commitment to doing otherwise. Discipline helps the church to reflect God's glorious character faithfully. And then, in the New Te- as we get to the New Testament, we not only have the Old Testament um, example, but we have a New Testament directive, and that comes to us in Matthew 18. So, actually, I told you to turn to 1 Corinthians 5, and we will get there, but go ahead and, fl- if you haven't, if you mark Matthew 18, go ahead and flip over there. And uh, we looked at this briefly last week in speaking about membership, but I know not all of you were here because um, we talked about the importance of accountability and membership um, just in brief last week, knowing that we were going here this week. Because you can't have biblical church membership without biblical church discipline. It's, they, they go hand in hand. And I want, I want to just I want to point out um, three parts to church discipline as the Lord reveals it to us here in Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17. So let's read the text first. He says, If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, Tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. And so Christ himself lays out the parameters for biblical church discipline. And again, what's the the goal? You see it in every step of it, that you might win your brother, right? That you might bring restoration, that you might bring reconciliation. And, and And there are... Um, And so these are given to us in order to show us the purpose for accountability, that that there might be restoration, that there might be continued unity, that there might be accountability. That is the purpose of church discipline. And the participants of discipline, and this goes to the question that Walter asked, the participants are the members of the church. 
And this is, this is how Christ laid it out. Now, I think when Christ laid this out, I think he knew that some point in the future, this, we would have these divisions that we do, even though when the, I mean, when the direction was given, there wasn't even a church yet. I mean, there, there was fellowships of disciples, and they were coming together, and there was the, the infancy of the church, if you will. And, but yet Christ tells them of the importance of accountability really among God's people. And I think, and they had somewhat, the Jews that he was preaching to, they had a, a reference for this already, as I shared out of Numbers. This, this is, you know, this is God's plan all along, that, that we need to live holy, that we need to represent the Lord, that we need to do his will, and that when we don't, we need to be held accountable. And, and so Christ is reminding them, and he's telling them that this is the way that we do it. We do it in the least public way possible because that's how you protect people's reputations you don't broadcast it you don't share it you don't go and grab a whole bunch of people to go with you you don't go and tell the pastor and get him involved until it's time to tell the pastor and get him involved if you know and and unfortunately i think this is what happens in a lot of churches a lot of churches somebody's doing something you know they shouldn't do so they go and they run and tell the pastor that someone's doing something that they know they shouldn't do why because they don't want the conflict. They don't, they don't want the confrontation. They don't want to have to deal with it, right? And so you, you take as many people or as few people as necessary to fulfill what Christ has told us here in order to protect reputation. Now, are there instances when you might skip steps? Absolutely. It, the, these steps are given in respect to how well-known the sin is. So, listen, if a whole lot of people don't know about it, a whole lot of people don't need to be involved in it. But if a whole lot of people do know about it, the more people need to be involved in the process. And that's what we see when we get to 1 Corinthians 5, and we'll, we'll be going there in just a minute. Um, so we see the purpose is restoration. The participants of church discipline are its members, not specifically the pastor, but individual members, and we are to carry that out, holding one another accountable. And the plan for church discipline is progressive. That is, confidentially and private, that's, that's the first step. If we're able, if it's a private matter, then that's how we deal with it. If we learn of something that somebody's doing that we know they shouldn't be doing, and they're a brother or sister in Christ, then we need to go to them and talk to them about it. We're to do it confidentially, we're to do it continually. That is, and if you, when you look at the Greek and how this is written down here, these are all, all of this direction is given in the um, active voice, which means it's, it's an ongoing, repetitive action. It's something that we are to do continually. And so we do it, and uh, so you go to them in private, and you continue to have conversations with them in private as long as you're able to keep it private. At the point where you're not able to keep it private, or if you've been, ex if now all of a sudden they're shutting you out and you can't get in, now it's time to get some more people involved. And uh, so then you expand that, that area of influence. And uh, on up into telling the church, because we do it confidentially, continually, we do it corporately. That is, we bring it to the church. And this is sometimes where I think churches get discipline wrong. By the time they've brought it to the church, they're calling for a vote to get this person out. But that's not what Jesus says. He says you bring it to the church to give the church an opportunity to reach the person. And so, until the church has had, has had an opportunity and, and, and more people within the congregation have an opportunity to reach out to this person and bring them to correction, 
You're not, you're not to seek that exclusion. But now, again, when we get, when we get to 1 Corinthians 5, you're going to see Paul, he, he calls out a person for sin in the church, and he says, listen, you need to put this guy out. Because the sin was so well-known, and the sin was so repulsive to, to the society, even to the society, even to the Gentiles, the pagans that lived around him, the sin was so repulsive that it, that it needed to be dealt with immediately and it needed to be dealt with severely. And again, we'll see that in just a minute. Um, but finally, the plan for church discipline requires for, it, for church discipline to be done conclusively. That is, we continue in the process until one of two things have happened. Either the person has been reconciled to the body of Christ or they've been removed from the body of Christ. If you don't get to the point of reconciliation, you haven't carried out church discipline unless you get to the point of removal, and then you've carried it out. Now, what happens at the point of removal? Well, now the person, he says, to treat them as a Gentile and a tax collector. What does that mean? It means they've now become an object of evangelism. It's not that we give, we not, it's not that we give up on them. We continue to pray for them, and we continue to reach out to them, but now they've shown no evidence, and they've shown no fruit of being genuinely converted, and they become an object of evangelism. They've been excluded from the fellowship of Christ because they're not demonstrating a life that is consistent with Christ. And so we continue to share the gospel with them. So now that we've looked at what church discipline is, we've looked at is it biblical, and we've seen that it is. I think the next question, and probably a really good question, is it still necessary? Is church discipline still necessary? I mean, don't we live in a time and an age when, when we can deal with things where we don't have to be so harsh and we don't have to be so intrusive? and we don't? Because, you know, honestly, it would be a whole lot more comfortable not to carry out church discipline because we don't like confrontation. We don't like conflict. Sometimes we like to stand in the background and cause conflict for other people, but we don't like it for ourselves, and we don't like to get involved with it. But the reality is, is Christ didn't put a time limit on how long this is to go on. We're to follow the plan that he gives us until he returns. And so it is, it is necessary. Um, while there are, and as I said earlier, there are incidents of church discipline that has been done poorly, yet that is not an excuse to abandon the process altogether. And while there are things that we need to consider and there are understandable objections to its practice, we must recognize that any reasoning that leads us away from biblical obedience must be rejected because it's necessary for obedience. If we're to obey the word of God, then we need to practice biblical church discipline the way that Christ instructed us to here in Matthew 18. It is necessary for obedience. We see it here in Matthew 18. We saw it in Galatians 6. As, as we read that verse, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you are a spiritual restore such a one in spirit of gentleness. We see it in 1 Corinthians. And you can go ahead and turn over there, uh, back to there now, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Um, as, as Paul calls for discipline in the church there. So it's necessary for obedience. It is necessary to protect the witness of the church. And this is something that we've already spoken of. But let's, let's look at uh, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 5. He says there, he says, it is actually reported that there is immorality among you and immorality of such a kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles. That just tells you how bad it was, that the pagans around him didn't even do the kind of stuff that was going on. And what is it? 
He says that someone has his father's wife. Now, we assume that this is a, a, uh, a son and a stepmother. Um, this, this is the assumption that's, that's made here. And, um, but, but still, in that society, it would still be considered incest. And uh, so it's something that was, was repulsive, like I said, even to the surrounding community. Let's go on to verse number two. He says, you have become arrogant and have not mourned instead so that the one who had done this deed would be removed from your midst. And when Paul talks about that, it just grieves my heart when he says, you have become arrogant because this is, this is what I hear. The people are in the church will say, well, you know what? We're just going to show him love and grace and, and we're, just, we're just not going to get involved and we're just going to let him do his thing. And we don't want to be harsh because that's not being like Jesus and we don't, and, and they just, so they're not going to do anything. That's, that's arrogance. That's, that's assuming that they know better than Christ because they're ignoring Christ's direction in order to follow their own preferences. Verse number three, he says, For I on my part, though absent in body but present in spirit, have already judged him who has, commit, who has so committed this as though I were present. And in the name of our Lord Jesus, when you are assembled... And I with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. And this is very important, the end of verse 5. So that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Sometimes when you remove somebody from the protection of the fold, it brings about the discipline of the Lord in order to bring them to repentance. Because sometimes, you know what, if the church can't do it, the Lord will, and especially if they're his, because the Lord does not allow his children to go on indefinitely in sin. And, and so he, Paul says, listen, this guy is in gross immorality. Put him out. Deliver him back to the realm of Satan, because there is a protection within, within the fellowship of Christ. There, Christ designed the church for protection, for grace to spread among its members, just as in a family. when Paul talks about marriage between believers and unbelievers and he encourages the believers to stay with the unbelievers, he says because there's grace that is extended to them. Not saving grace, but the, the, the blessings of grace are extended to the spouse and to the children because of the faith of the believing spouse. And so the same thing goes to the church. If you come into the fold of the church, you're going to enjoy some of the benefits of being part of God's people. When God blesses the church, you're going to be part of that blessing. When God watches over the church and does things in the church, you're going to be part of that. You're going to experience that. Paul says, listen, if they're in gross immorality and they're in unrepentant sin and they don't really care that what they're doing is bringing a reproach on the name of Christ, you need to put them out and get them away from that protective bubble. Turn them back over to the world. Let sin run its course. And let the consequences of their sin find their result so that they will, essentially, so that they will repent in return. You know, you know what the kind of the cool thing about all of this is, is Paul tells the church to do this in 1 Corinthians, and then in 2 Corinthians, he comes back, and he seems to indicate that the guy repented, and he, and he has to come back and he has to tell the church, he says, look, stop being so hard on the guy. All right, he repented, he's come back. It's, it's sufficient what's been done to him. Embrace him, encourage him, help him in his faith. And, and that's the point. That's what Paul wants to do. That's the purpose of of church discipline in order that the the reputation of individuals and the reputation of the church 
might be protected. When you get down, as you continue to read uh, through this passage, um, and you get down to the end, excuse me, um, <clears throat> excuse me, you actually get back to the end of the, towards the end of the book in, in 1 Corinthians 15, um, verse 33, the Apostle Paul reminds the church there, he says, um, he says, do not be deceived, bad company corrupts good morals. Become sober-minded as you are and stop sinning. For some have no knowledge of God, and I speak this to your shame. He says, because of, because of the corruption in the church, because of people that were sinning in the church, he says, there, there are people who don't even understand what it means to be a Christian because you've lost your witness in the community. You got, you've got to deal with sin in order to protect your witness. And you've got to recognize the influences that, that cause that corruption. So it is necessary for obedience, it is necessary to protect our witness, and it is necessary for biblical health. I mean, if we're going to have a membership that reflects the glory of God, that doesn't happen if we're not willing and we're not able to hold one another accountable for our actions. So if we see a brother or sister and they've, they've done something and they've acted in a way that is unchristlike, or if, they've, if they're doing something that is unchristlike, we need, to, we need to have a conversation with them. First of all, because if we think that they are, then maybe there's something to that, and we need to, we need to talk to them about it. And, uh, and maybe we, just, we don't know all what's going on. Maybe we've jumped to a conclusion, but you won't know that unless you go and talk to them and, and, have, and like I said, have that private conversation with them. Don't, don't go... Don't go off telling a whole bunch of other people. Go to them individually. We must be committed to doing things in a biblical manner in accordance with what God's word has said in order that we might continue to represent Christ and he might continue to bless us in our endeavor to represent him to the world. You see, because as the church, and I think this is the, the, the glorious thing about um, biblical church discipline. As the church practices discipline and there's an accountability among its members and we are moved towards purity and towards holiness, it's, it sets the church apart from the world. It helps us to remember we are called to be different. Now, we're not called to go out of the world, right? When, when Christ tells us he's to separate and be different, he's not saying exclude yourself and don't be a part of the world. He's saying don't run with them in the same excesses of dissipation in which they run, but set yourselves apart, live for holiness, and share my truth with them. When they, when they come along and they say, what's so different about you? Why don't you do these things? Why don't you think this way? Why don't you behave this way? Why don't you, why don't you do the things we do? Why don't you respond the way we respond? And we can just look and say, it's because of Christ Jesus, because of what he's done for us. It, it encourages the witness of the church. Is it some, this isn't something that's easy. This is probably one of the most difficult instructions that, that we're given in Scripture to carry out as a church. It's hard. Because people don't, we, we don't like, I don't like conflict. We just, we don't, we don't want to be all up in people's business sometimes. We think, well, you know what, that's, that's just them. Well, I think there's a point where it can be just them, but there's a point where you've got to step in. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, 
someone, you know, someone's not come to church for two weeks and you go and knock on your door and you say, listen, you better start coming to church again or I'm going to get some more people over here and we're going we're gonna to church you. Um, now, I mean, there, there may come a point, I mean, there may come a point when, when people just aren't ever going and you need, you, need to, you need to go and talk to them. If they're not ever coming, if they're, not, if they're a member and they're not ever coming, they're not ever attending church, they, they need to be talked to. And we need, you need to find out what's going on. We need to find out if there's an issue that can be dealt with. We need to find out if there's plans for them to return. We need to find out because we're commanded, right, in Scripture to not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. So just to withdraw and go off, it, it is a sin. Is it, is, it, is it so serious that we need to just, you know, just start, well, we're going to have to start this process of discipline? Well, it depends on how you look at the process of discipline. If you're just going to talk to them, I, think that's, I don't think that ever hurts. Because sometimes there's not, there's not an issue at all. You know what, they've been sick for a couple weeks and hadn't really heard from anybody or talked to anybody. Or in, and had, they didn't let anybody know because, you know what, there are people that are just private people. And uh, stuff comes up in their lives and they don't want to share a whole lot of what's going on and... And, uh, and it, it's difficult for them to reach out and ask for help. And so it's good for us to come along and say, hey, what's going on? You know, what, what can we do? And uh, you know what? And, it, and it's, in our mind, we might be thinking, you know what? They, they're just, they're not there. And they're in the wrong and they need to be there. And I'm going to go to them and talk to them. And then, of course, you know, that's not always the right attitude either. I think the attitude with which we approach this is, is an attitude of love for one another concern for their reputation and concern for the reputation of Christ. And I think that is how we pursue biblical health. Because it is, accountability is a sign of love. When Jesus tells us to love one another, it includes accountability. Because you hold, the people you love, you hold them accountable. Ask any parent. You don't just let your kids do whatever they want. I mean, when they're growing up and they, they want to, you know, pull those brownies out of the oven when the oven's still at, at 350 and been going, and they're like, oh, brownies, you know, the timer went off, and they go to reach their hand in there. You don't just let them go at it. You got to hold them accountable. You got you to show them there's a right way and there's a wrong way. When they disobey, there has to be consequences because there's consequences in life. So accountability is the way, church discipline is the way we hold one another accountable for the glory of God and for the health of his church. Any questions on this? Because I know I went through that super fast to make sure I got through everything. Yeah. Yes. And I think that's, that's a very good point because, because there is a tendency when we talk about the necessity of church discipline, we, we can adopt an attitude of harshness and we don't want to do that. Everything we do 
needs to be done from a motivation of love. And to recognize, listen, and, and we're not talking about things where we just disagree with people. That's, that's not cause for this. We're talking about when, when they're doing stuff that is obviously going against God and bringing it. And, and, when you, and that's the thing. You go to them. Well, what are we, the Bible says share the truth in love, right, for everybody. Because the reality is, is we're all at various levels in our walk as we mature in Christ. We don't mature the same. We don't mature at the same rate, and we don't mature in every area of our walk at the same rate. We may be more mature in certain areas of our relationship with Christ and less mature in other areas, and, and we need to be willing both to offer correction and to receive correction. None of us are above reproach. None of us are above being talked to about how we behave. I'm not. And, and we, need, we, need, we need to recognize that aspect, especially with new believers and young Christians. Because, you know what, especially if they're coming out of a hard background, they're coming out of a hard life, there's probably going to be a lot of things in their life that they don't even realize are offensive to God. And if you think about your own walk with the Lord, I mean, there's things now that the Lord convicts me over that five or ten years ago, well, maybe further, maybe 15 years ago, I would have never even thought were, were a big deal. And sometimes there's things now that even a couple weeks ago I didn't think were a big deal until the Lord, you know, puts his finger on a spot and goes, yeah, right there. <laughs> you're being disobedient right there. And you're going, ouch. I didn't even know. And so, so while the Lord, does, is, the Lord works through all of this, and that's the thing we need to understand. Yes, we all have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is teaching and correcting, but the Holy Spirit works through his church to accomplish his purposes. And he's given us this responsibility. And so we do need to be cautious and careful and loving in the way that we do it. Understanding that our purpose, again, we're not, we're not the behavior police. But we, we are representatives of Christ seeking to protect the purity of Christ in his church. Thank you for that, Ms. Betty, because I think that's a, a great perspective that we do need to remember. Because we don't, we don't want to be harsh with people. We want to be truthful. Christian discipleship is messy, guys. <laughs> but you know what? Relationships are messy. It takes work. It doesn't, it doesn't just happen. We need to accept our responsibility and submit ourselves to the Lord's leading to do things His way. Let's pray together. Father, I thank You so much. Lord, Just I thank You for Your heart for the church. And I pray, Lord, that for every one of us, that our love for you would overflow into a love for your body, as imperfect as a representation it is on this earth, Father, I pray that you would help us to love one another with the same love with which you have loved us. And help us to love each other, Lord, to, to come alongside each other and to help one another to walk in purity and in holiness and in truth that we might all continue to be conformed into Christ's likeness, that we might continue to mature in our faith, 
continue to respond to conviction and to grow in our knowledge and understanding of your word and its applications to our life. That we might be pure and holy in your presence. That we might be an effective witness to the world. Help us, Father, to carry out your will, to carry your word with us wherever we go, and to stand for the truth of your word, not in arrogance, not in self-righteousness, but as Christ teaches us, Lord, we must always examine ourselves before we go to a brother or sister to remove the log out of our own eye that we might see clearly to remove the speck in theirs. Father, help us to self-examine and then to lovingly share your truth with those around us. We thank you for your instruction. We thank you for your spirit. And we thank you for empowering us to do what honors you. We pray for your continued blessing of over this body as we pursue biblical health. We ask for your blessing over our, over our church, that you would continue to strengthen us spiritually and in every way, that we might glorify your name, and that when people think of Northside Baptist Church, they will know there is a people here that love the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.